Welcome back to Anabaptist Perspectives for the final message from the 2018 Hartwell Men's Seminar. We will hear Pete Witt conclude his three-part series about education with a message called The Eternal Value of Christian Education. You may have noticed that since the beginning of June, we have been releasing two episodes every week. But beginning on Thursday, we will return to our regular schedule in which we will release an episode every Thursday morning. But now, the eternal value of Christian education. When I think of our time spent here together and talking about children, school, the responsibilities of a man, and the father, the leader, what all of that entails. <clears throat> who can we look forward, who can we look to but a friend like Jesus to walk with us through that and walk beside us? Tonight we're going to be looking at Christian education again, but we're going to be looking at it from a view this time and doing some comparison, and that comparison is going to largely come from my past experiences in Christian in, in education, not Christian education. But I'd like to think about the eternal values. Those are values that go beyond just the academics that children need to be good citizens and productive citizens. But the things that reach beyond this life and the values of this life, the things that really matter, Sometimes in our Christian day schools, we find ourselves bogged down with expense and don't know how to meet all those expenses. If you find yourself working in a school, on a school board or involved in those types of situations, I'd just like to make one statement. And I know it doesn't tell you how to meet those needs but that it's worth it. It's worth it. Somehow, realize what it could be different, how it could be different. Tonight I'll talk about some of those things. I'm going to be touching three areas. Things that impact our children positively or negatively. And they have a tremendous impact on them. Number one is the school and the staff. The policies and objectives of that school. Their curriculum and their peers. Now when we look at a Christian day school, most of you have a picture that you can bring up in your mind. I don't ha didn't have that before I worked in one. My years were spent in public education, and I know there's some of you in here that have gone through public education. And there were some good years, I could say, uh, in public education that weren't as on the dangerous side of life. I mean, they didn't bring with them real, real dangers. I remember when on the desk of every one of my teachers, 
at least up through the fifth grade, there was a Bible. And every morning, there was a Bible, there was a scripture reading. And there was prayer before we started the day. But there was also an allegiance pledged to a flag. We did it unknowingly to be obedient to what was expected of us. Those things really wouldn't even have a meaning or an impact to me for years until I understood more about the scriptural approach to life, the teachings of Christ, and non-resistance and things of that nature. And then I realized those, think back over those years, the, the subtle ways that those things are instilled in our lives out there and how they develop our journey. But let's look at a staff, a school, and what are the policies of a school? What is the atmosphere in a Christian day school like? It definitely affects those values that can have eternal consequences. What is, what is the, is there scriptural atmosphere, a biblical atmosphere? Is there decor in the school? You know, children pay more attention to the small details than, than what we realize. They see these things, we do too. Often we see them, and that's it. We don't really process them. But sometimes children see them and then see them again. And they began to develop thoughts and thinking patterns. The Decker, does it speak to them of God and creation and Scripture? And having the freedom to have a school like we want it, we need to use that freedom for the, for the sake of those children, for the furtherance of Christianity, we need to use that to this level of abusing it. We need to use it for all it's worth to be able to portray to those children that they are preparing to be servants of Jesus Christ. What is the staff that walks the halls of your school? Uh, what, what are they involved in? What is their life like? You know, you might think, well, it's hard enough just to find them and get them in there. But sometimes in our desperation for exactly that, we opt out for teachers that may be bringing with them in their package to our school some things that would be better if those students weren't exposed to. And I'm not trying to be critical here. It's just that we see a lot of schools and a lot of teachers. And sometimes we see teachers that are coming from an angle and bringing with them a package that speaks of a very unsettled person. 
And that unsettled person stands in front of those students every day, five days a week. And they give off vibes that those children will package up and take with them. I can remember so well teachers that were an inspiration to me in school. And I'm sure probably you can too. And they, they even inspired you in certain thought patterns and even maybe challenged you in life. I have to think of a high school teacher I had my first day in high school. It was a very large public high school. And I was several, well, we junior highs, we found ourselves all of a sudden over there at high school. And we were given these schedules, and you're supposed to follow the schedule. When the bell rings, you know, it's all laid out as plain as day for you, fairly simple. If you can find your way around, this was a big school. In about second or third period of the day, I was looking for the ag class. One of my classes was going to be agriculture. And as I was walking around the school, I just couldn't locate this, this room. And I was looking at signs on the walls and doors. And, and finally, I kind of caught up with one of my buddies from junior high, same age I was. He was wandering around too. And I asked him, what you looking for? He said, I'm looking for ag class. I said, well, I am too. Let's stick together. So on down the hall we go. Soon we picked up a third fellow, also one of our junior high buddies, looking for ag class. And we were wandering down the hall, and we were getting towards the end of the hall there, and the teacher, one of the teachers said, boys, are y'all looking for something? Can I help you? We said, we're looking for the ag class. She said, oh, that's not even in this building. And she pointed out the end door there, this was a glass door. She said, that building over there across the parking lot, that's called the Ag Building. Well, thank you, ma'am. You know, it would have been nice if somebody had made a notation on our schedule for us. So off we go. Well, by then, the second bell had rang. And we were hoofing it across the parking lot there, and we come up to this door, and it's a glass door. We looked in there, and... We could see some students sitting in there, but we couldn't see a teacher. We figured he's around at the front of the building, front of the class right here. So we eased the door open, and we realized we're going to have to walk across the front of this class to get to an empty desk. But there was no teacher in front of the class. That was a relief. Where is this guy? So we struck out like three mice tiptoeing across the front of that room, and back there in the back, about where that door is back there, a big voice says, Hold it, boys. Stop right where you are. Well, we stopped. And all three of us were farm boys. That's, I guess that's the reason we were in agriculture. And we stopped. He said, Stay where you are. I mean, like, we're in front of the class, you know. We're, he said, I'm going to whoop you. That didn't go down too good. 
I hadn't been taught non-resistance. And I hadn't done anything wrong but get lost. And I already was feeling very mixed in feelings. But he said it so matter-of-factly. I'm going to whoop you. And that whoop told me something. That he came from somewhere other than Georgia. <laughs> and the first thought that flashed through my mind was not a good one. It was like, you better bring you some help. <laughs> because we weren't little boys anymore. None of the three of us. But that, he had his desk in kind of a cubicle. That man stood up from behind that desk back there. And he was from Texas. And it looked like half of Texas stood up back there. <laughs> And we didn't dream of going anywhere else. We were rooted to the spot. And he came right up there and commenced to do what he said he was going to do to all three of us. <clears throat> but that man, he made a real impression on me, mainly in the area of my hip pockets. <laughs> But before it was all said and done, he also reached my heart. I realized he was a very firm man. But he was a very, very firm man that had a heart just as big as he was. And we boys learned to love that man. When I became a teacher and I accepted the call, you know what was one of the first things that flashed through my mind? Jim Bob Harris. But I loved his approach and his relationship to being a part of his class. But I couldn't handle the way that he established authority. So, he was, he was a real inspiration to me in school. In that setting... We need, we need teachers, we need staff that have a heart there for what they're doing. That training that goes on in those schools is a preparation. You know, some of us are moving off the scenes faster than we want to admit. And we're going to be turning this thing over to another generation. Those children that walk those halls and run those playgrounds are the church of tomorrow. They're going to carry forth without us. And what are we going to give them to work with? What are we instilling in their lives? Home is the most important place that those things are taught. But school is also a place. And what the quality of your school, what goes on at school, and how school is run, lies a lot on the shoulders of the men. Either in the form of school boards or parents. But you have the choices and the responsibilities 
to have a lot of influence of what goes on in school. Don't miss that opportunity. Do our teachers have a vision? The vision that I've been talking about. Does the equipment that we use, I mean, in the way of school operation, are those all things that talk about the gospel and the kingdom and help direct children's thoughts and lives in those, in those avenues as they begin their journey in life? And one more thing I'd like to mention here when it comes to the school itself is the serpent of sports. Be very aware of what sports, I'm talking about professional sports and that emphasis of, of the drive of sports. Be aware of what that really is. It's not just fun. When I see sports, professional sports in school, I cringe because I was a part of sports. When I was in high school, I played football for a period of time. I didn't stick with it because I didn't care for it. You take what they call a pigskin, that's a football, you throw it to a fella just to see how fast he can run. The rest of us are going to chase him down the field and try our best to kill him if we can catch him. <laughs> and they, I was a light little fella at that time, carry a little more baggage today. But they put me out there on the end. They called me a loose end. <laughs> I thought that gave me the privilege to run in any direction I wanted. <laughs> and if they threw that ball to me, I was scared to death. And I ran. But I quit. And I, the reason I quit was not because of the dangers or the fears. It was because of there was an underlying current of atmosphere and feelings and wickedness that went on in this group that played together. And the talk that went on in the locker room and the things that went along with the game. It was unholy. I couldn't feel like it was a place for a boy to be. But what I was more worried about is when I saw that serpent had crawled its way into private schools Christian private schools. And just in a simple ball game, boys playing ball, you know, it wasn't Benny Yoder that got up to hit. It was, uh, I'm going to show my ignorance of sports here. It, it was, they'd call out a, a, a sports player. You know, it's getting up to bat. Well, what, what did that do to that young fellow's head and ego? He just all, oh, he swelled up. He had to perform. He was forced to because of all these people that were watching him. And he's been prepared, compared to a professional sports player. And the game had just a little bit of a taste of viciousness 
that overshadowed just good, clean fun. And if you lost, you lost because we just didn't smear them hard enough. That has no place in a Christian school. The spirit that comes with that. And that's the reason I call it the serpent of sports. I soon began, I was surprised to find it in a Christian day school like that. I hadn't been in among the Anabaptist people just too terrible long. And I saw the spirit that it caused among the children. That spirit followed us back into the classroom and plagued us there. I decided I'm going to break his back if it's the last thing I do. And, we, and I talked to those children very plainly about what sports is really all about. And they listened. And they grabbed a hold of that. But the, that old serpent wasn't ready to go down that easy. We had to deal with him for a little while, but once he was gone, it was a whole different spirit in that class. It was one where they cheered for each other and called out to each other, good try. If a student got up that hardly ever could make it to base, come on Tommy, you can do it. And even if he didn't do it, there were some cheers. Good try. That made Tommy feel like getting up there again next time. And that's really what it's all about. That's where the Christian spirit follows those children through their daily work in the class on the playground. And it cements them together with love and concern and compassion. The next area we'd like to talk about a little bit that has some very eternal values in our schools is curriculum. Now I may venture into some areas that you might think I shouldn't have. I'm not sure. If I frustrate you and you need to flatten a tire before you leave from here, please just get together on which tires you're going to flatten. <laughs> but I'm going to talk here without apology. Because I was a boy that was raised out there, and I was raised out there and taught some very warped teachings and thoughts. And those things like evolution, we talk about evolution, but have you ever really believed in evolution? Probably not. And you'd be thankful to probably your parents and teachers that you didn't in your curriculum. But I was. I was taught that man came from ape. And it's sad to say, but I believed it. And there's a lot of people today that believe it. And they even go to church. That was myself. I went to church on Sunday. I went to Sunday school on Sunday. And I believed on Monday morning that evolution's how we all got here. 
somehow, the devil has a means of, and, and te- always teaching things through children is the best way to establish something like that. From little up. We have these, these uh, charts on the walls that run all the way down the wall in our classrooms that showed a monkey, an ape, just exactly what he is. But then it shows some progression. And after a little while, he kind of eases up off the all four stage and he's on his feet, but he's still dragging his knuckles. And he keeps advancing, (laughs) keeps advancing. And it's really humorous if you look at these things very close. Finally, he's walking upright. And at the end, they've got a fellow dressed in modern day clothes. That's supposed to be modern man. <laughs> but somewhere in that stage, you know, and it's, it's interesting that there's no indications of those stages today, period. You know, you don't see anybody that looks like that today. How did we get... I mean, I guess we just left them all in the past and we're all up here at the end. There's a lot of questions that can't be answered. But I remember when I was in high school, I was sitting in biology class one day. I was at the stage and the age that God speaks seriously to people and they start to consider life. And I guess that's what was going on in my life probably. And as those things were happening, I was, for the first time, starting to look around and think seriously about life. And I can remember sitting there in biology class, and there was that poster down the wall, that ever-present thing, and I started contemplating these things. And I looked up there at my biology teacher and he was sitting at his desk working. I was supposed to be working too, but my mind was turning. The wheels were turning. And I was thinking, you're teaching us this. And the Spirit of God told me, it's a lie. And then he got louder. He said, it's a lie. And I looked at that man and I actually got mad at him. And I really liked him. He was a minister. But I got mad at him. And I thought, as long as I have a clear mind, I'll remember what I thought. Your great, 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 great granddaddy might have sat on a limb and peeled bananas with his toes, but mine didn't. And that was the end of evolution right there. It was a lie. But do you know what made me the most upset? Is that I believed it. I believed and accepted that lie. And there are many today that still believe somehow they can go to church on Sunday and worship a God and believe that they came down that family trail 
and will allow their children to believe that. We have a wonderful resource in the form of Christian day schools that have eternal values. As we think about curriculum, curriculum, when we think of that mind, that young fertile mind, curriculum is like the hoe, the shovel, the plow that plows that mind and works it up. But it's, it's the content in that curriculum that sows the seeds that will yield a harvest. It's the content. Children see deeper than we think they do. And they attach more than you think they do. I'll give a couple of examples of that. I know of in a situation where there's uh, a school that uses a curriculum that we would say is a Christian curriculum. And what you've got to, what color you've got to paint it to call it Christian, I'm not sure. But they call it a Christian curriculum, a good sound curriculum so far as accepted in society and meeting the requirements of normed curriculum. It would feel pretty, it'd fit up there pretty high on the list. But this curriculum, well, I'll just put it this way. It, in its subtle way, it takes children to a place that we don't imagine they go just by the daily lessons. And there were two boys that studied under that curriculum. There's a lot of children that do and even do today. But I know of two of them that all of a sudden, they, one decided to join the army and the other one went to the Marines. They were our Anabaptist boys. Wonder how in the world could that happen? How could they just abandon their teachings, their church, their family? Well, I'm gonna tell you, those seeds didn't, weren't sown and they didn't bear fruit overnight. In the curriculum that they used, I have a few things that I jotted down here. That uh, sentences, to, sentences to diagram. The wounded soldier suffered gallantly. The enemy sub snuck stealthily through the harbor. She strode gracefully onto the dance floor. This is a Protestant curriculum that is a cutting edge curriculum. It's a good curriculum when you look at the standard that it meets. In quality. 
This is the curriculum that their heroes are generals and presidents and political powerful figures. I probably don't have to tell you what curriculum this is by now. Can we afford to be their, their market? Is it going to cost us much more than what we ever wanted to pay? I'm afraid it will. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. They're doing exactly what they have set out to do. And they're doing an excellent job of it. But they join God and country in these, these curriculums, Protestant curriculums. That's your strong point. God and country. And if you want to see a young man rise to allegiance, you lay those two stripes on his heart and he won't disappoint you. Challenge him with the strength of his God, which is the teaching of probably his background and then his country. And teach him that those two can walk side by side and you're willing to die for either one of them and also to kill The dangers, I think, are a little bit, prices a little bit higher than what we want to pay. Boys that come through that type of teaching and girls, they are just prime for a recruiting agent to come to them or stop in just out of curiosity into a recruiting office in a shopping center. And those men are waiting. They they are standing on edge for young people like this. And they'll have them swayed and convinced and signed up before they know knew, knows what happened. That's what happened to these boys. We were in a school in another state here not long ago, and this school uses this curriculum. And the teacher was telling us about this one particular student that kind of struggled with some of his schoolwork. She said, but it's amazing. He's very interested in social studies and history, and especially American history. And I thought, uh-oh, I know what curriculum they use, and I know what their American history is all about. She said, this one boy has an amazing memory. He can, he can list wars and activities and campaigns in those wars, and leadership in those wars, and the victories and the losses, and he can just, statistics just comes off of him like a ticker tape. And she seemed a little bit baffled as to what's going on. We were, we were just observing the class, and she had to go tend to some classroom activities. I told my wife, I said, that's him sitting right there. She wondered, how do you know? You see that GI haircut that boy's got? That didn't happen by accident. He is pretty far down the road already in being absorbed into this stuff. And it's affecting him in a very, very dangerous way.
she strode gracefully onto the dance floor. Protestant curriculum produces Protestant thinking. What about their peers? The peers that they're around. We send them to school with all confidence. If our children go to school, we, we feel it's safe, it's a good place for them to be. But our responsibility doesn't need to turn blind right there. We need to know what's going on with our children. Not only in school, but also at church. You heard me right. At church. Their peers will... The pressures in the, in the peers... See, things that children share among themselves as peers, they share on their level with each other. It makes it very effective and easy to accept. And those children... can unravel your teaching at home faster than you could ever imagine. I've seen it happen as a teacher in school. I know of children from homes that I knew what that home was like and their standards in that home. But I would see some disappointing things going on in school and I knew it was coming from the influence of their peers. And they were wanting to achieve peer acceptance. Yes, there is something when we think about a Christian day school and what is allowed there in school. Be involved. Be involved in school. Don't just wish something wasn't the way it is. Be proactive. Talk to your teacher. Talk to your brothers. But don't wait until it has already done its damage. And there are things, habits, thinking patterns, and damage done already with a child. Be willing to guide and direct them in choosing how to make right decisions. You as parents, as fathers, as men, you have one of the strongest holds on the influence of your children. But you want to see that be tested Put him among his peers. I still remember today plainly something that happened to me in high school. I was with some of my peers one evening. We had stayed for an after school activity. And it got to be evening time. And we went down to a little eating joint to get something to eat. The car was pretty well packed full of boys from door to door, front and back seat. And from somewhere, out from under one of the seats, came a bottle. And that bottle had liquor in it. I smelled it. I saw what was going to go on. They started passing that bottle around. It went down the front seat. I was sitting in the back seat. It went down the front seat. I was thinking about this the whole while. There was a terrible battle going on. But when that bottle came into my hand, I had already decided 
I can't do my parents like this. I can't do my dad like this. He's taught me right. I can't put this bottle to my lips and do that to him. So I just simply passed it on. That simple little action right there, I believe there was more boys in that car that felt condemned because of what had started. And had that bottle made a complete circuit, it would have started again. It, was, it had plenty in it. And I don't say this to lift myself up, but when I made that move, I noticed that bottle didn't go far and it went back under the seat and that was the end of it. Because a teaching was rooted deep enough, it stood firm. So let's be careful. Our peers can, our children's peers can be a great asset to our teachings, but they also can be a negative influence. Our children will leave school with things to carry with them in life. And there'll be a whole assortment of things probably. You could call them school souvenirs. And when I began teaching school, my mind often went back to my years in school of my 7th and 8th grade. Those were, the, those were the age levels I was teaching. First years that I was a teacher. Often my mind would travel back to my 7th and 8th grade year. My 7th and 8th grade years were not good years at all. They were very violent years. They were the years of integration in the South when we were forced to integrate. And I went to a nice little school just couple of blocks from home and then I was told I have to go all the way across town into the heart of a black section and attend a school over there. And it was, it was rough. It was really tough. My mind would go back to those years as I watch these children quietly, safely, working in our classroom with books on their desk that spoke of the Scriptures to contrast that to what I had experienced in, my, in their same age bracket and level in school. Souvenirs that we bring away from school with us. I've got a few of my... 7th and 8th grade souvenirs with me tonight. Things that would have been found in my classes in my, in my school. A set of nucks. That's a terrible thing to get hit with. The way they're made, the way they fit into the hand, they do a lot of damage fast. 
a little more on the serious side. A straight razor. You might say seventh and eighth grade. That's exactly right. There was a many a boy that carried a scar and those boys felt like they were a man because they had a scar. They had been cut. They'd been in a fight and they had something that showed that they took it. But boy, to see one of those things whistling around like a play toy, it was scary. It was very frightening. Among our own people, among the public, you see these knives that we call them clip knives. They've got a clip on them. You know, a lot of people, times men will carry them in their hip pockets or boys will carry them in their pocket and with the clip on the outside. I've got another name for that knife that I was raised with. That's a boot knife. You got in trouble if you got caught with a knife, but you might be in trouble if you're without one too. And a person that knows how to pull one of those things and practices, he can pull his boot knife pretty fast. And that little pin that sticks out of the side of it is called a thumb pin. That's the reason it is where it is. If you're fast, you can thumb that thing open and it'll lock. And you're ready to go to work. We can't imagine this in our schools. But my experiences in school, what really was a highlight in that particular school was I was sitting in math class one day and the loudspeaker system said, everybody stand beside your desk. Well, all the children would look at each other and the teachers all knew what was going on. We'd been in class probably about half hour. Stand beside your desk. We stood up. She said, do exactly like you're told. Don't touch your body. Don't touch my body. She said, do exactly what you're told. So here we are, standing beside our desk like a bunch of buzzards trying to dry out. And then she said, file, single file, out the door. Boy, we were looking at each other like, what in this world is going on? So out of the door we go, and as soon as we stepped into the hallway, now this was a big building, as soon as we stepped into the hallway, we saw that something serious is going on here. There were law enforcement agent, uh, officers blocking every way out of that place but one way. And they were at every exit. There was no hope of going anywhere. They were pointing us one direction. Children filing out of doors, filling the halls, all walking the same way. If you tried to touch your body, the officer said, get your hands away from your body. So we walked out to the gym when we entered the gym, there was a lot of law enforcement in there. And I knew exactly what was going on then. 
This was a shakedown. They were searching them. And I knew that this could be very bad. Because of these things that I showed you, if you would be caught with one of these, you were going to answer to the law. I had an old Barlow pocket knife in my pocket that I did chore, used for chores, cutting hay string. One side of the blade was about as sharp as the other. <laughs> and it always went in my pocket when I put my pants on. And it was in my pocket right then. I knew that was going to incriminate me. But to this day, I cannot tell you where that thing went. Somehow in the process of moving down through that gym, I got rid of that knife. And I don't know where it went. I don't know if my mind was so blanked out. But all I know is when I got searched, I was clean. I got to go on. The ones that weren't clean got turned off one way. And they were doing all the girls over there. They had their, their uh, area kind of petitioned off with curtains because those gals were getting searched from head to toe. They had women law enforcement in there doing that, but they were bringing the things out and putting them on a table. Man, that looked like a pawn shop over there. The boys are a little more manly. We had, you know, brass knucks and the uh, straight razors, the zip guns. A zip gun is a, is a 22 single shot that's made with a little piece of pipe, quarter inch pipe, that you put a rubber band around the back with a hard object attached to it, and it was one single shot. You could stick it in your pocket just as easy as a pencil and just pull it out, snap that thing, and it'd fire. We had a few crude things like that. But over there on the girls' table is where the 32s, the 38s, the 22 Magnums, those were just kind of piling up over there. Yeah, they had those on their body and carried those with them. And if you want to see one of the nastiest fights, just about like a cat fight, you see two girls that go at each other. No fighting was good. But at, at that age, I was taught actually how to fight. My dad showed me. He told me, he said, son, it's dirty. There's nothing nice about it. The object is to hurt the other boy as bad and as fast as you can. It'll be your best chance. So I trained in taking my belt off. You can learn to take your belt off quite rapidly. A belt snatched off, wrapped two or three times around your hand with a short amount hanging out. You don't want much. And the buckle on the end is a vicious weapon to swing and sling. And there's, there's a certain way to do it too. And you, don't, you, you want to be able to get in close to them got too much belt, you'll find yourself not being able to get to your target. All those types of things. And I would sit there and watch my, looking at my students, I'd think, oh, the difference 
It's a blessing we don't even enjoy because we don't know we have it. You've never experienced that. If one of the children raises their hand and said, Mr. Whit, can I go to the restroom? Sure. My mind would go back to one time when I went to the restroom in public school in that setting. I, that was something I just never did. Not between classes, but there was one time the need arose to the degree that I asked the teacher, may I go to the restroom? She said, sure. I go out to the restroom there, and it was a big restroom, you know, like Walmart. These are, these are big schools. And the way that restroom was is there was a door opened like this, and then there's a privacy wall here. Goes down the road about eight or ten feet, and go around the corner into the big restroom. I walked in there, pushed that door open, big heavy door. Pushed the door open, and I took a step inside. Probably another step. Something just said, "Look over your shoulder." I glanced back, and there was a boy standing behind that door with a knife. Now I don't think he was planning on cleaning my fingernails. <laughs> It scared me so bad. I did 360 right there. And when I came back around, I grabbed that door and I shoved it at him as hard as I could. And back out the hall I went. And I went back to the room. Had I, had that door gone closed, and I would have stepped away, and gone on around into the restroom, there'd have been nowhere to go but down the drain. Folks, I don't fit. <laughs> what his intent was, I didn't ask him, but it didn't look good. And I went on back to the room, don't ask me where the need to go with. <laughs> some of the worst scenarios that you could think of in school probably. But I did, when I left that school setting, the reason I did is because my life was threatened. I had come up on a robbery. Accidentally there had been, I was in the band class, played a musical instrument. And we had our band class was canceled for some reason, I don't know why. But that particular room was around on the back side of the gym. I didn't find out the band class was going to be canceled, so I obediently at my scheduled time, I headed back there to band class. When I walked up to the door, the door was cracked, but the room was dark. Had a glass window in the door. The room was dark. I thought, we're supposed to have class. What's going on? And I stepped forward and pushed that door open. When I did, more light went into the room. There was no teacher and there was no class, but there were some boys in the process of unloading musical instruments. And by the way, those things are very expensive and worth a lot of money. They were getting them out of the storage room. And I realized immediately what I'd just done. I had walked in on a robbery. Because just across the driveway was a whole <coughs> section of town that you could vanish into and never be found. 
And I'm sure those instruments were all going straight across that driveway back in there. And they said, if you tell, we'll kill you. And I didn't doubt it at all. So I had a choice to make. And I pondered that thing. And I pondered that thing. And it was interesting. It was the scripture that helped me make a decision. Because I was he that knew right. I knew not to do it. It would be sin. So I told him. But I left town too. I went to another school district in another county. Because I knew I was going to be a marked man. So that brought that school setting to a close. When we think about the blessing of our Christian day schools and having the freedom to choose the curriculum that sits on the desk, the teachers that walk the halls and sit behind the desk, all of these things are granted to us and the value of those children's souls and the church of tomorrow. <coughs> Christian education, the values of it, is priceless. It's really priceless. And the impact of it is eternal. So, I, this is supposedly my last topic here at the Men's Seminar. I really enjoyed being here with you, sharing with you, and I hope we can all go away from here together, realizing what a wonderful blessing we have and the privilege of being in control of our children's education and their educational experience. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. For more information, you can go to our website at anabaptistperspectives.org, where we have a blog, and this material is also available in video form on YouTube and Facebook, both under the name Anabaptist Perspectives. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Anchor. We would love to hear your feedback, so if you have any thoughts on something that was shared on this show, please let us know. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.